Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Isn't a great night to be in the house of God? Amen. I wonder if we could rewind the clock where we'd find some of us on a Wednesday night at about 7.34. wonder where you'd be tonight if it wasn't for the Lord. Why don't you think of, where would your family be? Where'd those babies be sitting next to you? Anybody thankful for the house of God, for the people of God? Amen. Amen. Well, my wife and I have about a 13-hour drive in front of us tonight. So we are going to get in this and hit this with everything I got. And then I'm going to turn into a, a ghost and disappear in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. I do want to say thank you to Pastor and Sisterhood for um, welcoming us with open arms and having us this last week. We've had a great time and uh, hope to do it again in Jesus' name. Also, I love to do this, something I'm trying to make a habit out of, but I want to say how thankful I am for the elders that are here today. You are loved. You are wanted. You are needed. Don't ever feel like you're old news. You are the news. You are the news. And this church needs you. These young people need you to come alongside them and show them how to do it. Amen. Your testimony is not irrelevant. It is not out of date. It is just as beautiful and powerful today as it was when God saved you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Now listen, I'm not a real uh, fancy preacher. I don't expect anybody to leave here with any uh, incredible uh, 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 facets of the Word of God you did not know. I'm just going to give it my very best and hope God gives to you what He gave to me. Is that okay? Amen. Can we get behind the preaching? Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. The Bible says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life. Everyone say, save their life. There's a lot of people in our world today doing everything they can to extract as much pleasure, as much temporary joy, as much excitement that they can just wring out of their life. They're trying to save it. But the Bible tells us that if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, for me, will find it. It's one of the dichotomies of Scripture. To go up, you must come down. To be a leader, you must be a follower. And to live, you must die. Verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? 
What would it be for someone to gain every wish, every desire, every income level, every house, every boyfriend, every girlfriend, every relationship, every high, but lose their own soul, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I want to preach, teach, do my very best to give this to you today. You must not survive this. You must not survive this. Let's pray. God, I pray that the Holy Ghost would come in this place, that it would build up and it would tear down. I pray it would convict. I pray it would challenge. I pray it would direct. I pray it would lead. I pray it would comfort. I pray it would save in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody pray like you got a family member that needs to be saved. Somebody pray like mama ain't in church yet. Somebody pray like they need a message like this. Come on, some, I know they're not here tonight, but somebody pray like somebody else's baby's here tonight. Somebody pray like somebody else's spouse is here tonight. Come on, God, in the name of Jesus, Save my mommy. Save my daddy. Save my sister. They must not survive this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen, 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 amen. At the very core of each and every person here today, we all have a survivor's instinct. Surviving simply means living beyond the life of another or beyond the time of some event. We practice this surviving in both macro and micro situations. Surviving is about choosing life over death. It's about escaping just in the nick of time and brushing the dust off your shoulders as the building explodes behind you. Surviving is something our culture obsesses over. We have entire movie and TV genres around the subject. We love it so much we've even named shows after it, Survivors. We even have music proudly proclaiming, I'm a survivor. I'm going to make it. I will survive. Keep on surviving. If I had a singing boat in my body, I would have sang it to you, but then I wouldn't have been able to preach as long. Amen. Sadly, it is this very attitude that has made it into the ranks of churches all over America. And we are not exempt. We try to find how much joy we can extract from our relationships. We try to find how much joy we can extract out of the church and out of Jesus. How much can I get out of this deal and still keep my identity? How much of Jesus can I take on before ever really losing me? It is a mantra in our culture do you, be you, 
Be the best you. And let me challenge somebody here today that used to be everything you wanted to be. I thank Jesus I didn't follow after everything Aaron Mayo wanted. Because after everything Aaron Mayo wanted, it was lust. It was lies. It was the temporary satisfactions of the flesh. I don't want to just be me. I want to be everything Jesus designed me to be. Can I get an amen? Who we are or who we wish to become. We want to see if we can glean from the incredible resources of a walk with God and yet keep the parts of us we all hold so dear. If you agree with nothing else I say in this message, you can at least agree with this. Christianity has never been about surviving. It has always been about dying. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says, I tell you, in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who do not need to repent. This very verse has thrown many of a service into a praise frenzy, and rightly so. Heaven isn't rejoicing because one more person looks saved or one more person has confessed their sins before Jesus Christ. Heaven is rejoicing because one more sinner has died to their desires. Because one more person... Let me tell you something that's so powerful about repentance. When you first come to God, you don't understand all the ramifications of repentance. You don't get all the ins and outs of this faith that we all hold so dear. You don't get everything God's going to ask you of. But in your mind, you say, God, I hate this world so much. I can't go one more day living like this. True repentance is coming to the altar and curling up in a spiritual fetal position and saying, God, I don't get all of it. But I want it. God, I don't understand all the ins and outs, but Jesus, save me. Jesus, don't let me be suicidal one more night. Don't let me be depressed one more day. I don't want to be like my mama, Jesus. She's broke. She's addicted. God, I don't want to be like daddy, Jesus. He hurts me. He abuses me. I want to be saved. It is amazing to watch people respond to the call of Christ and deny themselves. It is in this death that heaven responds in praise. Because heaven knows, like nobody else knows, that until you die, you cannot live. Let's pray. Well, God, I like my life too much. 
God, I like my situation too much. I fancy my circumstances too highly. God, I like my current predicament. I like my God, I don't really want a lot of change. You see, that's what happens to us when we've lived for God a while. We begin to count the cost to see if we have sufficient to finish the race. And we approach this, making sure all the things are in order and saying, God, to go to the next level, it's just going to be too hard. God, just to live for you with all my heart, it's just going to cost too much. And what we don't understand is the moment we stop dying, we stop living. Oh, this is in the Word of God. The Bible tells us that Paul said, I die daily. Why? Why? Such an incredible man. Such an incredible walk with God. A man that was able to go into cities and turn them on their head. Still had an understanding that the moment I stop dying to this old flesh is the moment I stop living. And church, we can't get to the place that we become so advanced and so, so wealthy and so incredible. You know, my testimony is a little different than brotherhoods. This is really all I know. I was born on a pew, one of the most incredible churches in Pentecost at the time. I was raised by a great, a great mom and a great dad. I remember going to church in Alexis, coming out of my dad's custom estate built on the side of a mountain. I walked into church with a great last name and had things somewhat padded, if you will. And let me tell you, God loved me too much to make sure I did not experience a death situation. Because God says, I don't care how much money mommy and daddy has. I don't care how good your name is. I don't care how special you think you are. But I, I died on the cross so that you could be saved. And unless you die, you will not live. Well, mommy and daddy died for me. Well, the pastors died for me. Well, the church, man, look at the beautiful building and the amazing paint. Somebody died that you may live. The question is, are we willing to die that others may live through us? Are we able to give back how so many gave to us? Is this okay? More so as apostolics, we must do some serious examinations through our lives and look at it not through the lens of what everybody else is doing, not through the lens of how blessed I am compared to everybody else. God must just think I'm so great. We must look at the Word of God and allow the Word of God to look at us introspectively and begin to comb through our lives and say, that's still living, and that's still living, and it's got to die if you're going to move forward. Amen. We must allow the Holy Ghost to operate in one of its core functionalities, and that is to lead us into all truth. In this service tonight, no doubt, there will be parts of each and every one of our spirits that will try to elude and explain away this kind of preaching as being too extreme, too hard, not in line with mainland Christianity, thinking, doing all of it in the power, doing everything in its power to survive. doing it like everybody else is doing it. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be like everybody else? Do you want a prayer life 
like everybody else has a prayer life. Let me tell you about normal real quick. This isn't in my message. Let me tell you about normal. Normal is broke. Normal is divorced. Let me tell you about normal. Normal is depressed. Normal is suicidal. Let me ask you a question. Do you just want to be normal or do you want to live like nobody else is living? Aaron, it looks so easy. It looks so great. The veneer is so nice. The Bible tells us about such situations that the outward part is excellent and it is beautiful and it is amazing, but the inward is full of ravenings and wickedness. That's why you need God who tells us in the story of Saul and David that God does not look at the outside of a man, but looks at the heart of a man. So next time the devil tries to push back up again, I'm not interested in normal. I'm not interested in average. I'm not interested in being like every other church. Oh, we do it different. I'm glad we do it different because I don't want to do it like they do it because I don't want the results they've got. Does anyone have enough courage to grab that old lion voice, that old lion devil, that part of you that has not yet been vanquished by the Spirit and drag it to this altar and say, tonight you will not survive. You will not survive another prayer meeting. You will not survive another altar call. You will not survive another outreach. You will not survive another, you will not survive another preacher. You will not survive another revival. I had hair. Amen. That's another message. But you know what I've begun to understand, Brother Bobo, is that there's this attitude that sets into Pentecostals that we begin to use vocabulary like maybe next week. We begin to get this attitude that says, I have a few months. I'm only 25. We begin to get this thing in our crawl that says, when the music is just right. When the, when the preaching is just in line with how I'm feeling that particular day and the sun was out and the wind blew me as I came in and man, the, the, the potpourri was on point and then I'll pray through. And what we don't realize about everything being just how we want it is if you remove the cross, if you remove the altar and you don't die, you will not live. If you remove all friction, all try, if you remove all hurt, if you remove all pain, there is not death. And without death, this is what I'm trying to preach today, we will not live. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, but if it die, but if it die, I wonder how many people God looks at service after service and said, but if it dies, oh man, if I can get that, if I can get that brother to die to that lust, if I can get that sister to die to that old relate, but if it dies, it'll live. If I can get that young person to die, hallelujah, to pornography, if I can get that young man to die to that fornication, if I can... 
But if it does, if it does, it'll lift, it'll lift, it'll lift. It is amazing to watch uh, once you've been at this a while. The devil just go into somebody's life uh, and wreak absolute havoc. And you've got to step back as a minister because you can't save them from all friction. In fact, as a man of God, you want some friction because it is in the midst of friction that they can grow. But you step back and you watch people go through absolute hell. And you're just saying, come on through. Just die to yourself. God is trying to kill you because God knows if you're dead. Stay with me a second. Stay with me a second. All of a sudden, when they finally creep to the other side, when they finally come out of the valley of the shadow of death, and they're on the mountaintop, it's amazing to watch the life that spreads out of them. Parents, sisters, brothers, friends start coming to God because it is in that life that God begins to stream out of them. Joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. And they go into the job, and they're not depressed. They go to work, and they're not afraid. They go to school. It is this continued revelation, revolution of dying to oneself and then experiencing new life in Christ is where the joy is. It's where the life is. It's where the power is, church. Some of the things that God has allowed me to go through, I wouldn't wish on anybody. I remember, I remember distinctly, brother, sometimes in my life that I just felt like God was driving a nail right into my heart. And I remember resisting and resisting, and resisting, and as long as I resisted, it didn't die, it was just painful, it was just hard, and I remember distinctly a moment where there was a situation where I just said, God, I'm letting go, and I literally felt something in my spirit, die, and I was released, and it was beautiful, and it was powerful, and it seems so simple, so elementary, until you're in the fight of your life. Like, God, why am I going through this? Why am I not sleeping? Why am I having spiritual visitations? Why can't I seem to break through? And God is saying, I am trying to kill you because you are too prideful. You are too arrogant. You've got too much, you've got too much other stuff going on. And I need to bring you back to a place that I can use you, that I can work through you. Amen. It's when we become comfortable and begin taking precautions on how we approach God that we get into survival mode. I can't outreach anymore. I have golf lessons. I can't witness anymore. What will people think of me? I can't tell people how I really feel because they won't be my friends anymore. These are survival These will not save you, church. They will kill you. Until all that is left of you is a perfect image of Jesus Christ, we will not live. Can we pray again? I can preach this with such passion because not only have I gone through it, I'm going through it, and I'll go through it again. Come on, somebody pray. Come on, somebody stop looking for escape mechanisms. 
I got a lot of notes to go, but I just want to say this real quick. We all know that individual that's 32 and still living with mommy. Anybody know, know somebody like that? They're 32 and they still don't got a job. They're living off the estate of somebody that died 20 years ago. Didn't even know their name. We all know somebody like that. And what we're seeing and, and what aggravates those of us that get up every morning and go to work and have to look at a boss every day, those ugly, nasty yellow teeth, bad breath. Amen. You might be one of those bosses. Maybe God's blessed you. You are the boss. Brush your teeth. Hallelujah. Amen. But what frustrates us so much about that is their continual desire to escape the realities of life. Always sidestepping the situation because it's easier. Oh, I could go to work today, but I could get Social Security. Oh, I could, I could pray, but ooh, maybe I can just watch somebody else pray. Oh, I could show up to church, but maybe I'll just go on YouTube. And what we're looking for, the reality is of what we're really seeing is this desire to medicate instead of actually addressing the problem. Can I get an amen? That is what drugs is for many people. What drugs is, let me tell a young person something. Nobody just wakes up one day and says, I want to be addicted to heroin. Nobody wakes up one day and says, man, I, I could be a doctor, a lawyer, or an alcoholic. <laughs> Let's just be an alcoholic. It is this desire to medicate one situation so you do not have to face the realities of life. People do this for relationships. Instead of facing their brokenness, instead of facing their shame, they just get a new girlfriend. They just get a new boyfriend. Right. And what they don't understand is they are not actually dealing with the problem. They are medicating the problem. Right. They are surviving instead of dying. And when they come to the altar, like we're going to do tonight, and they say, God, I've been running. God, I've been struggling. God, I've been in survival mode for the last six months. I'm tired of running from it. I'm ready to die at the cross of this. Anybody remember the first night you repented? Does anybody remember the shackles of doubt falling to your feet? Anybody remember the fear that kept you up all night evaporating? This power is still accessible when we are willing to allow our own hopes and dreams to fall at his feet motionless, dead, sacrificially, so that we may live again in him. Christianity is not, and I repeat, is not a message of death. It is a message of life through death. Somebody needs to tell doubt. Somebody needs to tell fear. Somebody needs to tell frustration. You will not survive another night. No, somebody needs to look in the mirror, the spiritual mirror of the Word of God, and say, you have lived far too long. You will not survive this altar call. You see, what's an amazing thing about faith is faith says, yes. Doubt says, oh, I'm tired today. We have got to become so sick and tired of being sick and tired.
that we are willing to do whatever it takes to be free again, to have hope. Come on, somebody, have some faith with me. Maybe you don't have, maybe this preaching isn't for you. Come on, clap with me. Say, maybe this is for your neighbor. Get with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. don't break up with them. You delete them off Facebook. You just don't you don't just stop smoking it. You throw away the box. You get rid of the supply. You cancel the drug dealer's number. You kill. Well God that sounds mean. Well God sounds that sounds tough. Life may afford you the opportunity Something that you thought you prayed out, but since you didn't destroy all of it, Saul, there's still a voice. There's still a bleeding. Through the voice of Samuel, God instructed Saul to carry out this attack on the Amalekites and totally to wipe them out. Everything. These Amalekites are the same people that laid in wait when the people came out of Egypt and resisted them, fought them. Though God's people were victorious, as long as Moses' hands were held high, God remembered those that hindered his people's escape out of Egypt. And this one's for free. But when a new person comes in, I don't care how pretty they are. I don't care how nice of a person they are. You leave them alone. If you've got a bad attitude, you just pray for them from afar. But we do not want to resist the new people God brings to this church. Well, let me just tell you, I just hate this song. And what's your name? Yeah. Oh, I just made it. They have a, man, I wish they wouldn't have painted this, this color, man. What a, do you like it? I don't like it either. Yeah. Want to come over to my house for dinner? No, don't resist new people. Yeah. Yeah. Just pray for them. Yeah. Just love them. Yeah. Just wrap your arms around them. It's already hard enough to get off of drugs. It's already hard enough to come out of the world. This is something I teach my church. What I teach my church is when you walk into the building, we need to be ready. We need to be focused. Because you know what? You should already have a prayer life. You should already be in the Word of God. And when you walk into the building, it's time to, it's time to be a witness. It's time to love on people. It's time to, man, can I help you? Oh, here's a seat. Take my seat. Because you know what? I already have a walk with God. I want you to have a walk with God. 
See, the problem is, is we're still surviving. So in some cases, we need to come to the church because we can't make it Sunday to Wednesday. So we need God to help us. And God will help you. But God wants to put you on your feet and put a song in your spirit and equip you so that you can go out and begin to win Carson and turn this city upside down. And when you come to church, it's not what can I receive, it's what can I give. Samuel chapter 15, verse 9. But Saul and all the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs. The uh, sound man must like this message because I'm really loud. Hallelujah. And all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. Saul, are you trying to put your own morality and your own sense of goodness as the observant of what is vile and what is holy. So, are you trying to put in your spiritual mechanism, whatever it is, to determine, I don't really need to get rid of that. It's not that bad. Can I read this one more time? Okay. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best. Everyone say the best. Man, they were the best. And of the oxen, the best. And of the fatlings and the lambs, the best. And all that was good. According to God, none of it was good. But according to Saul, these are worth surviving, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about, but these are the good sheep. These are the good. These are worth surviving. You know, Samuel, I know what God told you. I know what the word of God said. Come on, somebody. I know it says that it's all got to go. That, that man, if any man loves this world, the love of the Father. I know the Bible says, man, if, if, if I sin and I know to do right, to him it is sin. I, I know the Bible says put no evil thing before. I know, but it's good. Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul was so delusioned with his own opinion. He actually stood before the man of God and say, I did what you asked me to do. You know what's going to be the worst thing in eternity is people who thought they were saved. And Jesus saying, And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Anyone willing to give, give ear to Saul's reasoning? Stay with me, okay? I promise it gets better. If it hasn't been good up to now, it'll get better. Anyone willing to give ear to Saul's reasoning would undoubtedly agree with his logic. This was the logical approach. This made total sense. Or Saul, we'll take care of the sheep. We'll just sacrifice some of them to the Lord later. Man, that's a really good thought. Saul's like, yeah, man, no, I got, no, I got this. I'm really good. I got it. His reasoning was logical. 
Some may have even praised him on his ability to rightly divide God's word. That's a great interpretation of what Samuel said, God, uh, Saul. God really didn't mean for you to kill everything. This is, this is great theological of hermeneutics. Good on you, Saul. Take the good and leave the bad. Making the choice that presumptively allowed him to be both obedient and a good steward. God wasn't interested in Saul's ability to please both sides. God was looking for someone that would do it his way, that would obey his word the way he originally said it. It took the man of God coming back to bring clarity to this situation when he said, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. When the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things of the world, it does not need our opinion. When it says, put no evil things before your eyes, it does not need our private interpretation. When it says, love your brother as yourself, it is God seeking obedience in the face of your opinion. A survivor said, so was a survivor. Saul was a spiritual survivor. A survivor says, how can I get through this and still be alive? How can I get more and not lose what I have? Jesus knew the only way to life everlasting was through the cross. The only way he was going to free the people from their sins was with sacrifice. This world needs a savior, not a survivor. Let's pray. I'm not done yet. a savior, not a survivor. God, I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to lay down what I've got. I'm willing, come on, somebody pray. Quit waiting for next week. God, I need you. God, speak to me. I haven't felt you. I haven't heard you. God, I need you to wrap your arms around me. I need to feel the presence of God again. Come on, somebody push. Somebody have faith again. Come on, we're stopping here. We got to push. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I can't survive another day. I can't go to work again and be a survivor. I need to be Jesus Christ in this world. Come on, somebody pray. I know I may not be delivering this very well, but I hope somebody's getting this idea. If we're going to reach the world, if we're going to reach mommy, if we're going to reach daddy, we got to quit surviving and start being the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. It stands to reason. 37 minutes, I'm almost done. It stands to reason in our futile attempt 
to remain autonomous. Everyone say autonomous. Our attempt to remain autonomous, we have truly succumbed to another master. Truly, our spiritual survivor instinct shows us that there are others that still rule in our own members. It is the answer of yes to our worst half that is further proof that there are yet parts of us that have survived. You will bow. The question is, will you choose to bow to Jesus, or will you be made to bow to the designs of your flesh? Unlike the world, we do not glory in our survival as Saul did. We lament that despite what seems to be our very best efforts, there is still parts of us yet to feel the bite of death. Romans chapter 7, verse 19 is a great illustration of this. Watch what Paul says. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but... I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is still in my members. This is Paul showing us, teaching us, illustrating to us that even though you've repented, even though you've been baptized, even though you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, there are still factions inside of you that are grappling, that are fighting, that are wrestling. not enough for us to be like this and say, man, everything's great. Everything's okay. We've got to approach this with a certain amount of reference and respect. Saying, God, I know there's still some things in my brain. There's some still things in my heart that I've got to work through. Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. You know, I'm going to be tired driving home. I'm expelling all this energy. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. I'm trying to illustrate through Scripture this idea of being in proximity to Christ or being in relationship with Christ and still having a need. Somebody listen to me. Maybe this is for a saint. And still having the need to go to work on those parts of us that are not yet succumbed to Jesus Christ. I'm trying to show here. I'm trying. And, and, and listen, it's, 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 it's amazing when we preach to new people. It's, it's necessary that we preach to new people. But every once in a while, come on, somebody get with me. I'm 31 years old. I've played this game a long time. It's necessary every once in a while as good old-fashioned Pentecostals where our hair is long and we don't own a TV, no movies we have. We don't even know what Disney is anymore. It's still good every once in a while to look introspectively and say, God! Is there an element 
from being what God designed me to be? Is there something in me that's keeping my kids out of church? Is there something in me that's keeping my world out of church? Is there an element to who I am that is holding me back? You know, I'm a big believer that if God is talking to you, that you need to respond to God speaking to you. You know, there's a great saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. As soon as you get to water in a message, you start drinking. As soon as you find water in a message, start drinking. Because many times between right now and the altar call, I'm going to say something that's going to offend you, and it's going to steal the momentum God was trying to make in you because of my own shortcomings, and you're going to lose out on what God had for you. I remember one time specifically, pastor was preaching. I don't even know how far it was in the message, but it had gotten me to water. And I said, this is where I need to drink. And I didn't care what nobody else was doing. I didn't care what Evan was doing. I didn't care what somebody else was doing. All I cared about was that I'm at water and it's time to drink. And if God is dealing with you, let's pray. Well, traditionally, I need to wait till the altar call because that is the appropriate thing. We're talking about going to heaven, people. We're talking about being saved. We're talking about reaching the lost. We don't care about programs. We say we don't care. Don't. We don't care. We don't care. We want to get to heaven. We want to be right. We want to be right. Come on, pray, pray, pray. For those of you that still need, that are still on the journey here, Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him a whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put him on a, scar put him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Somebody just, just be with me just for the next five minutes. Give me that. The cross being the instrument by which Christ would suffer for the sins of humanity has become a symbol of this sacrifice. A crude object made of two pieces of wood on the back of a bloodied Jesus made to carry, drag its dead weight till Golgotha where he would be shamed as he was stretched limb by limb and nailed to an already bloodied altar for the sin of humanity, for your sin. Even Pilate, the perverse Gentile he was, was able to see this man was unworthy of this sentence. But like so many today, is willing to sacrifice the perfect so they may serve. afraid of what Caesar will think of me. I'm too afraid of love. I'm too afraid of the consequences. I am willing to sacrifice the perfect. But I may survive. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody will be submitted. Everybody. I want to do it willingly. I want to come before the throne of grace and say, God, help me. God, search me. Revelation gives us an incredible story about Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. This very concept has brutalized me, church. So many times, I feel like I'm on Everest spiritually. And all it takes is a little situation, a little trial. Puts me in a spiritual tailspin. God is not doing it to destroy me. God is doing it to perfect me. And say, what you built that concept on, what you built that idea on, it is sand. I'm just going to send in just a little breeze and it's going to show you you are not stable there. What has always struck me about this passage was how at the beginning of what must have been a nearly impossible task after being so badly beaten, the cross was taken from his feebled body and handed off to one by the name of Simon of Cyrene. It has made me wonder what the reason for this handoff was. Why pass the baton, Jesus? Aren't you capable? The Romans surely not doing this for pity's sake, but only hope to get more of a show of Christ and prolong his already grievance and suffering. But we know nothing that happened at Calvary was by accident. It was all orchestrated by God and held my thoughts for this went to Christ's inability to bear the cross, that he was truly unable to hold its weight on his fatigued shoulders and needed the help of another. This reason never sat straight with me. Jesus was going to get on that cross. Too much was at stake. No amount of pain, no amount of suffering, no amount of blood loss was going to keep Jesus from his sacrificial offering for all of mankind. He would fulfill his task if he had to move heaven and earth to do it. No, his weakness would not suffice. The cross was always going to be his altar, and his body always was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. So what was the reason? This baton was passed to the unknown Simon of Cyrene. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'm hoping somebody does not survive this. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, 
if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross when he's saved. Take up his cross when he first comes to church. Take up his cross when he's got nothing to lose. Take up his cross What if this baton being passed to Simon was not a reflection of Rome's mercy and it was not a reflection of Jesus Christ's weakness, but it was another showing of Jesus Christ to all of this, to all of us. I am not going to bear this all on my own. You must bear your own cross. One more reminder before nailed to it. I've got it now. But one day, it'll be your turn. And to the unknown masses, Jesus takes the cross and hands it off to you and says, it's your turn. Let's stand. Incredible story in Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, as we wrap this up. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder to worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said my father and he said here am I I'm my son and he said behold the fire and the wood we've got the makings of an altar We've got the means to extinguish life. But whose will it be today, Father? Whose life will be lost today? Who will give it all today, Dad? I see we have the instrumentations, just like we do here today. We have this thing we call an altar. We have the fire. The Spirit of God that comes in and convicts, challenges. We've got the piercing blood of Jesus Christ. We've got all the means today, Daddy. Whose life will we lay on this altar? And no doubt Abraham can't look at his son in the eye. Maybe he has to look away at the promised child and says, Today, Isaac. It'll be your life. Today, Isaac, it won't be a sheep. It won't be a goat. It won't be something we can reproduce in six months. It won't be just another insignificant item. Today, it'll be something of promise. Today, it'll be everything I ever wanted, every dream I ever had, every desire, every hope, every want, every need. I lied for you, Isaac. I cheated for you, Isaac. And God is now asking me to give my promise. So today, it'll be you we sacrifice. No doubt, Isaac climbed that mountain expecting to survive. And then faced with the grim reality that today, it'll be his life. We know the story. The only human sacrifice God ever accepted was Jesus Christ, and it was an illustration. And I think it still stands to reason today 
that each and every one of us must lay down our life that we may live. I want to open this altar not just to those that want to come of a spiritual checklist, and I understand that, but those who are really willing to lay down a sacrifice. Come on, if you're going to come up here, let's not play around. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to, to see where everybody's going for dinner. I got a sacrifice. I see the wood. I see the crude instrumentations. Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? Son, you must not survive this. You must not survive this. Come on, somebody pray. Come on, somebody touch God. Come on, somebody respond. If you hear God knocking at the door, just open it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. Come on, somebody reach out and grab that door handle. Come on, somebody. God may have pastoring in your future, evangelizing, home missionary work, but it starts here. It starts with dying. Come on, pastor's wife. Come on, young lady. Come on, friend. Come on, brother. Reach out. Grab the door handle and say, Jesus, you're coming in me. Jesus, I will not do it my way. One more day. I want to challenge somebody. Lift your hands. Just, just try me. You've tried everything else. Lift your hands. Come on, somebody. You've tried the bar stool. You've tried the online. Come on, somebody. Just try this out. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. I don't care what you say, but say it with sincerity. I don't care what comes out of your mouth but let it be sincere. God, I can't live like this. God, I want peace. God, come on, somebody, press. Press into Jesus. Press into Jesus. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for this young lady. God, let her blaze a trail for her family. Let her blaze a trail. Come on, somebody. We got a young lady here pressing. We got a young lady here dying. I don't get it all. Come on. I don't understand it all. But I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. I don't want what's on the TV. I don't want what's in the movies. I want Jesus. Come on, elder saints. Come on, elder saints. I want it. I want it.
people here. We're too calculative. We're counting the cost too much. Press, 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 press. I don't care if you got here in a Lexus or in a beetle with a heater. Press, press. I don't care if you're going home to 5,000 square feet or 500 square feet. Press, press. Press. 